Thank you so much to Nick and the team for leading us in worship this morning. What a encouragement that was. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, last week, Sunday, I mentioned that uh, in preparation for this day, we'll be looking at two Old Testament prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, Micah 5, uh, and, and this morning, we'll be looking at Isaiah 7. Uh, beautiful passage, difficult passage. Uh, there's much theological debate about it, which I won't get into this morning. Uh, you can thank me later for that. Uh, but, but this passage is very clearly about the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read earlier in Matthew, and that it's pointing us and preparing us for Christ. And, and I think it gives us something of a context of, of all we've sung about this morning as we thought about what Christ has done in reconciling us and redeeming us, uh, this passage, I think, gives us a context. It uh, gives us a glimpse into the heart of God who planned all of this. And so I trust this will be something that is an encouragement to us this morning. I, I want to read the entire uh, first 17 verses, if that's all right. But we'll be focusing on verse 17. But to understand verse 17, we need to understand the context. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Isaiah 7, and we're reading from verse 1 to 17. This is God's word here. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Amalah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. But when the house of David was told Syria was in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir-Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washes, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Emiliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Emilia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against you and terrified, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the, the son of Tabulus king in the midst of us. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is risen, and within the sixty-five years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Emilia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. You, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, 
the king of Assyria. At least so far in the reading of God's word, may you form our lives towards truth. Let's pray quickly. Heavenly Father, as we've just read your word, we pray that you'd give us insight into your word, that you'd speak to us, that through your Holy Spirit you'd illuminate these verses and impress the truth of them upon our hearts so that this morning our faith in you would be enlivened, strengthened, encouraged, and that our worship of Christ would be joyous. Help us in this, we pray. We we recognize our weakness. We recognize our waywardness, our sin, how easy it is for us to be distracted. Yet we pray, dear Lord, captivate us this morning by your word. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Whoever you are and wherever you are, you will have trouble. Whether you're a teenager or a young adult and you're tempted to go the way of the world, maybe you're enticed to drink and party, to watch this and try that, you need to know this. The world might not think so, but you're in trouble. Maybe you're a couple here this morning. Life is busy. Your relationship is strained. Finances are tight. Maybe you're living past one another, and you're neglecting each other, and you're neglecting God. Guess what? You're in trouble. Maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman here this morning. The economy is tough, we know. It's competitive. The temptation to to employ unethical practices is, is enticing. Maybe you're overworked. Maybe the result is that you're neglecting the family and you're neglecting church. And know this, you're in trouble too. Maybe you're a mother or a father. You've been diagnosed with a serious disease. And maybe you fear the worst and you wonder who will care for your family. Know it. You know it. You're in trouble. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're disheartened. Maybe as a result, you isolate yourself. You just want to give up. You don't want to go on anymore. And you guessed it, you're also in trouble. Or or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're burdened with with shame and guilt. You've sinned against God. You've sinned against a loved one. You're you're burdened by, by this weight upon you. And if you're honest with yourself, you are in trouble. See, whoever you are and wherever you are, you will have trouble. The Bible says in Job 14, man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. Jesus himself told us that in this world, you will have trouble. He said even that each day will have its own trouble. Do we not know something of this in our day and age? We've been well acquainted with trouble, have we not? And so the question is not, will you have trouble? Rather, the question is, how will you respond in your trouble? See, Ahaz in our passage is in trouble. In verse 1, we see that the kings of Syria and Israel have joined forces. They've surrounded Ahaz in Jerusalem And they want to destroy him. They want to remove him. They want to occupy Judah. They want to rule over Jerusalem. And in verse 2, we are told that Ahaz and the people shake like trees in the wind. That's how afraid they are. See, that's what trouble does to us. It creates fear, anxiety. See, Ahaz is in trouble. And the question is, how will he respond? 
Will he, when in trouble, turn to the Lord for help? Or will he, in trouble, turn to his own wisdom and his own strength? How will Ahaz respond to his trouble? And what we need to see in our passage this morning is that God comes to Ahaz and God tells Ahaz how he can survive his troubles. And know this, in this passage this morning, God comes to you and He tells you how you can survive your troubles. Look at the end of verse 9. What a beautiful verse. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. How can you and I survive our trouble? How can you and I stand firm when trials and afflictions and difficulties overburden us? Answer by standing firm in faith. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That word for firm speaks of something that is enduring, lasting, anchored. And the idea is this, if you do not stand firm and anchored in faith, there is no other ground to stand on. Implication is this, if you do not stand firm in faith, your troubles will drown you, your troubles will discourage you, they will devastate you. See, if you have no faith, the Bible says not only uh, do you sin against God, because Romans 14, 23 tells us that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin, not only that, but if you have no faith, you're displeasing to God. Hebrews 11 says, says that without faith it's impossible to please God. But not just that, if you have no faith, this passage says, you will have no hope, no security, no rest in your troubles. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In 2 Chronicles 20, we find a very similar situation. There we find King Jehoshaphat in trouble. He has enemies surrounding him just like Ahaz. And a prophet comes to him and tells him the promise of deliverance. And Jehoshaphat believes he has faith. And he stands up one morning and he says this, Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Well, beloved, my task this morning is to tell you, Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Stand firm in faith and you will be firm in your trouble. Though you are bombarded by difficulties with waves of despair and trial, though you are, your troubles overturn your world, if you stand firm in faith, you will be firm. But the question to ask is, faith in what and whom? Well, you guess it, on a day like this, our faith ought to be in the one who was sent by God, His only begotten Son. One who is for us and for our salvation, who came down from heaven, who was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, one who was called Jesus because He will come and save us from our sin. And see, Isaiah 7, 14 points us to this Jesus and in so doing offers us in our trouble, in our despair, offers us reasons for hope and security and rest in the midst of our difficulties. Let's be honest, when our troubles overtake us, they often cause us to, to have many reasons to doubt God. 
many reasons to become anxious. But this morning in this passage about this promised Emmanuel, God gives us many reasons to trust Him. Many reasons, I believe, that will warm our hearts this morning as we think about the God who has sent His Son into this world for us. And so this morning, I want to give you some reasons why you ought to stand firm in faith. And so four things I want to quickly draw out your attention. Uh, The first three really prepares for the last one. The first thing I want you to see this morning is this. Be firm in faith by looking to the grace of God. Be firm in faith by looking to the grace of God. You see this in verse 34. See, to understand uh, the grace of God here, we need to remember who Ahaz is. Ahaz wasn't a righteous man. He, He wasn't a godly king. No, not by a long shot. Ahaz was a vile, wretched sinner. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, we are given the description of him, and there we read that he did not walk in the ways of the Lord. He he rather walked in the way of the pagan uh, nations around him. He he, he made images and idols of the false gods and worshipped them. And to cap it all off, he, he sacrificed his own sons to these false idols, to these false gods. See, Ahaz is a vile, wretched man. Yet despite the great and many sins of Ahaz, in chapter 7 we see how God draws near to a man like this. God draws near to a sinner to show him grace. In verse 3 to 7, verse 3 and 4, we see that it says, And the Lord said to Ahaz, Go out and meet, Ahaz. said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit and up, of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. See, God comes to this vile, sinful king and decides to. To show grace. Now, firstly, God shows grace by sending Ahaz and his son to Isaiah and Ahaz, Isaiah and his son to Ahaz. And the significance of that lies in, in what their names mean. Isaiah means the, the Lord is salvation, and the message to Ahaz is this I am able to save you. Uh, Shir Jashub uh, means uh, a remnant will remain. And the message to Ahaz is again, despite your troubles, I will protect my remnant, I will protect my people. See, in, in sending his prophet to Ahaz, God is calling Ahaz to not fear, to not be faint-hearted, because God is able to save you, he's able to protect you. But see, God also shows grace by telling us that his enemies, although great, are nothing but smoldering fire stumps. Uh, Although they rage with fire and anger, their plans will be snuffed out. They will come to nothing. See, God shows grace to him here. That his his threats, these threats that are causing his heart to to ache in in fear are, are nothing to be feared at all. What grace to a sinner like this. Now, as we'll see, Ahaz rejects this grace, uh, but don't miss the significance of this. Don't miss of what God is doing here. God is drawing near to a great and vile sinner. And this, I believe, teaches us two things. Firstly, it teaches us that the the greatest of sinners are not beyond the reach of God's grace. 
This is something I've said before, and I'll say it as long as God allows me to say it. You may have done what is absolutely horrible and an abomination to the Lord. You may have committed heinous and wicked sins. You may have done what is right in your own eyes. Yet know this, you are not beyond the reach of God's grace. God's grace can reach out to to people like us, wicked, vile sinners. Why? Because God's grace is not dependent upon how great we are, how we've got things together. No, it's based upon His sovereign love. His grace is given to despicable people because He loves saving despicable people. What grace! See, the greatest of sinners are not beyond God's grace. But secondly, the second lesson is this. The greatest of, or the weakest of believers can still be assured of God's grace. If God shows grace to someone like Ahaz, who has no faith whatsoever, then how much more will God not show grace to those who have simple faith? Faith that at, at times is weak and fumbling, that often falls short. In 2 Chronicles Chapter 30, verse 9, we read this about our God. It says, The Lord our God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away His face from you if you return to Him. See, if you return to the Lord in simple faith, not perfect faith, simple faith, He will turn to you and not turn away. See, unlike those who turn away from God in unbelief, those who have the simplest of faith can be assured of God's grace. You might be like me, and I often pray to myself, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, the beautiful lesson here is that God even helps us. He he promises to help us in the weakness of our faith. Dear Christian brother and sister, be assured of God's grace for you. If God shows grace to an unbeliever like Ahaz, will he not show grace to you? Will he not supply you with abundant grace for your trouble to preserve you and keep you? Be firm in faith, therefore, beloved, by looking at the grace of God. The second thing I want you to see this morning is is be firm in faith by resting in the promises of God. Be firm in faith by resting in the promises of God. God in grace draws near to Ahaz, but not only does he draw near, but God points Ahaz to God's promises that he's given to David. Look at verse 5 and 9. This is kind of a weird passage. Try and make sense of this. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remelah have devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against you and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is risen, and, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you're not firm in faith, you'll not be firm at all. See, your God promises that these enemies that have arisen against Ahaz and against God's people will, will come to nothing. But there's also more going on here. Why does he say the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Syria is risen? Why does he say the head of Ephraim is Samaria and, and the head of Samaria is the son of Emilia? What's the significance of these heads? Well, God wants to remind Ahaz of something. Ahaz isn't just any king in any city. He is the king 
of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the head of Judah, and, this, and Judah is the city of God. Also, Ahaz isn't just any king, he's the son of David. The son of David is the head of Jerusalem. See, God reminds Ahaz of who he is and where he is. He is the king of Jerusalem, he's the son of David. Why is that important? Well, you know in 2 Samuel 7, God promises to bless the house of David, to give him a lineage that will stand forever. And so God here is calling Ahaz to remind himself of who he is. And therefore, in light of these promises, to stand firm. Again, that's instructive for that. That teaches us a lesson, I think. In our trouble, we need to be reminded of what God has promised. In our troubles, we need to be reminded of who we are in our God. Don't we have a tendency when, when, when the pauper hits the fan and, and life falls apart to, to start becoming anxious? And we have a tendency to, to take our eyes off of God and be so consumed and fixated on our troubles. Yet, yet what we must remember is that God has given us great and precious promises, and it is these promises that are a balm to our soul. It is these promises that remind us that, that God is our refuge and our strength. And, and dear Christian, if you're a Christian, let me ask you, who are you? Are you not the temple of the living God? Are you not his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his holy nation? Are you not a child of God because the Son of God redeemed you? And what has God promised you, dear believer? Has he not promised that he will never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability? Has he not promised that he will finish what he has started? Has he not promised that his grace is sufficient in your weakness? See, God has given us great and precious promises, and God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. And therefore, stand firm. Stand firm in faith by resting on the promises of God. The third thing I want you to see is this, be firm in faith by accepting the invitation of God. Be firm in faith by accepting the invitation of God. Look at verse 10 and 11. Look at this amazing invitation that God gives Ahaz. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, and let it be as, as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. See, God is, is giving Ahaz you a blank check, if you will. He's saying, ask anything of me and I will do it. And, and that will be a sign or a pledge that I will keep my promises. This is an amazing invitation by the Lord when, Ahaz, when God invites Ahaz to put him to the test. To see that God himself is willing and able to keep him. To help him even in the midst of his struggles. Beloved, what an amazing display of God's grace again. Here God avails himself to a sinner. His strength to someone like Ahaz. But what is even more amazing is Ahaz's response. Instead of displaying faith in God, Ahaz evidences unbelief. Why? Because Ahaz refuses this invitation. Ahaz gives what seems to be a very good spiritual answer. He doesn't want to put God to the test. 
And, and yes, we mustn't do that. But let me suggest to you, if God asks you to put him to the test, guess what? You do it. Why? Because in accepting that invitation, you display your faith and trust in this God. And see, that's what God wants. He wants us to trust him. He wants Ahaz to, to have faith. And again, this is an invaluable lesson to us because God loves to be trusted. God invites us to trust Him, and God invites you, dear friend, to trust in Him, to look to Him, to depend upon Him. Surely we understand this. Parents, do we not love it when our children come to us and trust us? Do we not long for them to, to turn to us in their need, in their trouble? How would you feel if, if your son or daughter were in trouble, trouble that you could help with, yet they don't turn to you for help. They go to someone who, who doesn't know them, who doesn't love them. You'd rightly be concerned. You'd rightly doubt, no doubt be asking yourself, do my kids not know that I love them? Do they not know that I, I'm willing and able to help them? See, parents love to be trusted. And beloved, that is nowhere truer than with God our Father. When he finds us in trouble, when he sees us in need, he loves it when we turn to him. In fact, when we're in trouble, he invites us to trust him. Psalm 91 verse 15. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Psalm 50 verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And then what? I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. See, God loves to be called upon. He loves to be trusted. Don't be like Ahaz, beloved. Call upon the Lord. Trust in Him. Rely upon Him. Come to Him in your trouble, and you will see that He's willing to be depended on. He's willing to help. He honors those who turn to Him, and He's glorified by those who rest in Him. Know this, dear friend. If you come to the Lord in simple faith, with all your troubles, he will not turn away from you. He will not refuse you. Why? Because he loves to be trusted. And so be firm in faith. Why? By, or how? By accepting God's invitation to trust him. So be firm in faith by accepting God's invitation. Thus far, we've looked at the uh, uh, standing firm in faith by, by looking at the grace of God by the pro and standing on the promises of God and then also accepting the invitation of God. Finally, I want us to see, for, uh, lastly, be firm in faith by believing in the sign of God. Believing in the sign of God. And this really is getting to the climax of our passage. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you, and that you is plural, will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What we see here is that Ahaz, after refusing God's invitation, gets given a sign by God himself. God, in response, gives his own sign, but not just to Ahaz, but to the people. And that's significant because this sign is both positive and negative. It's negative because it's, it's positive because it's good news for those who have faith, but negative for those who, who do not have faith like Ahaz. Now, now, what do I mean with that, that it's positive and negative? Imagine with me this. Imagine you've been diagnosed with a serious incurable disease. 
and you're in hospital and the doctor tells you you have about a month to live. And one day as you're lying on your deathbed contemplating your last few days, you hear a doctor rush into the ward and he shouts, there's a cure. There's a cure for your disease. And, and the ward gets excited, they're laughing and jumping up and excitement grows. But then the doctor comes to you and says, well, the cure will only be ready in two years. See, see, it's good news. There's a cure. It's not good news for you. That's the situation Ahaz is in. There's good news. God will save his people from their trouble. But the bad news for you, Ahaz, the bad news for you, unbeliever, is that by the time the sign arrives, you will be devastated by your trouble. You will be overrun by your enemies. That's really the point of verse 15 and 17. He shall eat curds and honey, and curds and honey in Isaiah 8 tells us isn't signs of prosperity, that's signs of poverty. The, the land is in desolation. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your fathers out such days that have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. That is all to say this, when this son arrives, when this son matures, the people of God will be in poverty, the land of Israel will be deserted and inhabited by foreigners, and the house of David will be under foreign rule. See, because Ahaz has failed to trust in God, him and his nation will be overrun by enemies, overtaken by their troubles, and this sign for them is bad news. There is salvation but it's not available to you. Why? Because if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. But see, for those who have faith, for those who believe God when He speaks, this sign is positive. Because it says that even though you go through trouble, God will give a son, and this son is called Emmanuel, which means that God is with us, even in our trouble. Remember, Isaiah is writing to a people who will go into exile or godless. Now they, that's set in stone for them. And this sign, this promise, this pledge from God is given to them as something to look forward to with faith. Namely, that although they're in exile, although they face these troubles, although they're paying the, the penalty for their sin, God is with them. God has not abandon them. Let me ask you a question. If you're in trouble, do you know what the worst news is? The worst news when you're in trouble is that you're absolutely alone. That there's no one who cares, no one to help, no one to come alongside of you. You're absolutely forsaken, forsaken by God and others. That's why David cries out in desperation in Psalm 27, verse 9. He says, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not. Forsake me not. See, the idea of being separated from God, from being alone, is, 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 is a horror for, for David. See, to be absolutely alone is, is the worst news in your trouble. But if you're in trouble, do you know what the best news is? The greatest news in trouble is that you're not alone. The greatest news is that in your trouble, you have not been abandoned. You have not been forsaken because God Almighty is with you. 
upholding you, sustaining you. See, the greatest news in trouble is what theologians have called the, the Emmanuel Principle. See, from the beginning to the end of Scripture, we find this principle that God is with His people. He delights to be with His people. He loves to surround His people, uphold His people. I, I can give you 30 examples. Let me just give you three. Leviticus 26, 11 to 12, which Paul quotes in 2 Corinthians for the church. He says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my, sh- my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Psalm 23, which we know is about God, our shepherd, which points us to the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For why? You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Or right at the end of Scripture, Revelation 21.3, when it speaks to the hope of the persecuted church, and I heard a loud voice from on, on the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. See, again and again, passage after passage, God tells his people that he's with them and for them. He tells them that he will never leave or forsake. Do you see something of the grace of God in that? This is a God who promises to be with his troubled people. This is a God who, who comes near and invites his people to find their rest and their strength and their security in him. And beloved, know this, this Emmanuel principle finds its fulfillment in Emmanuel the person. The person that Isaiah 7, 14 is all about. Unlike Judah of old, we don't look to a sign to come. No, we look to a son who has already come. A son which Isaiah 9 says is born and given for us. A son called Wonderful Counselor because he's filled with wisdom. A son called Mighty God because in him the fullness of deity dwells. A son called Everlasting Father because he loves us with a compassionate heart. A son called the Prince of Peace because he gives us what we need, peace. Beloved, that son is the Lord Jesus Christ, born of Virgin Mary and given the name Emmanuel. Because he is truly God with us in our humanity and God for us in our salvation. See, God knew that in this fallen world we all have trouble. Because of our sin, because of our waywardness, we have steeped ourselves with a whirlwind of trouble that surrounds us. Yet God, with great love, came to be with us. As someone has said this, God did not send Christ to us. God came to us in Christ. In Emmanuel, the infinite became finite. The divine became human. All the while remaining fully God, fully man, His majesty veiled in meekness. The King of glory became the servant of men. And think about what that means. Jesus, the God-man, lived and experienced our trouble. He was despised. He was rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. John says that his soul and his spirit endured immense trouble. And he takes on our trouble. He takes on our sin. He goes to the tree and he pays for it. On the cross of Calvary, the the troubled Messiah pays for the sins of troubled people to save them from their trouble and to reconcile them to God the Father. 
And not just that, not only has he paid for it, he, he conquered sin, he, he conquered the grave, he rose again, and he's promised us that he's always with us to the end of the age. And realize one of the most encouraging truths is this, that Jesus came into the world as Emmanuel with us, and he's still Emmanuel. He's still God with us, even in our troubles, even in our difficulties. Should this not be a source of encouragement to you? That no matter what you go through, there is still security and, and rest for you? I love this quote by J.C. Ryle. He writes that the Emmanuel promises to be with us daily to pardon and forgive, with us daily to sanctify and strengthen, with us daily to defend and keep, with us daily to lead and guide, with us in sorrow, with us in joy, with us in sickness, with us in health, with us in life, with us in death, with us in time, and with us in eternity. Dear friend, dear beloved of God, do you know something of this reality? Is your heart comforted by the truth that you serve a Savior who remains with His people? Do you turn again to the wonderful truth that Jesus is your manual, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever, that He's still with His people? Do you see Him as one who is still with you even in your trouble? Or are you living like an unbeliever, completely unaware, completely unmoved by Christ? See, what we need to survive our trouble is not more of our own human planning. No, what we need is more faith in the person of Christ, in the person and presence of Christ. We need to, by faith, look upon the grace of God given us in Christ, who was given as our Savior. We need to, by faith, stand upon the promise of, promises of God in and through Christ, where if we believe upon Him, we are forgiven and accepted by the Father. And we need to accept by faith the invitation of God to, to find our rest and our security and our comfort and our salvation in no one else but Christ. Listen to the counsel of Octavius Winslow. He said this, Oh, beloved, what an assuring and comforting truth this is. God with us. Now we can feel equal to every service, prepared for every trial, armed with every, for every assault. Take hold of this precious truth and say, my Savior God is with me in all the boundless sources of His Godhead. Why then should I fear? Beloved, we have a great God who is with us, and let us rejoice in Him. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you will have trouble. And the only question is, how will you respond? Will you be like Ahaz and dismiss God as unimportant and irrelevant in your life? Will you trust in yourself, your own devices? Or will you this morning have faith? Faith in the Son who was given. Faith in the grace of God given and shown to you. Faith in the God who gives you precious promises. Faith in the God who invites you to trust in Him. Faith in the God who is Emmanuel, God with us. Will you stand in faith or will you fall in unbelief? Know this, in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, we have a firm foundation upon which you stand in a troubled world. As I close, here's an example of someone who stood firm in the faith. Listen to this poem that Spurgeon wrote when he was 18. Yes, 18. 
uh, as you know, if you know anything about Spurgeon, you know that he, he was acquainted with trouble. He, he struggled with depression. He struggled with health, with controversy, with disappointment in ministry. Yet despite of all this trouble, he was blessed by God. Why? Because he was a man of faith. And listen to his faith in this poem. When once I mourned alone, a load of sin, when conscience felt a wound within, when all my works were thrown away, when on my knees I knelt to pray, then blissful hour remember well, I learned thy love, Emmanuel. When storms of sorrow toss my soul, when waves of care around me roll, when comfort sinks, when joy shall flee, when hopeless grief shall gape for me, one word the tempest raised shall swell, that word, thy name, Emmanuel. When for the truth I suffer shame, when foes pour scandal on my name, when cruel taunts jeer around me, when bulls of Bashan gird around me, secure within my tower I'll dwell, that tower thy grace, Emmanuel. When hell in rage lifts up her roar, when Satan stops my path before, when fiends rejoice and wait my end, when legions of hosts their arrows send, Fear not my soul, but hurl at hell thy battle cry, thy name, Emmanuel. When down the hill of life I go, when over my feet death's waters flow, when in the deepening flood I sink, when friends stand weeping on the brink, I'll mingle with my last farewell, thy lovely name, Emmanuel. When tears are banished from mine eyes, when fairer words than these are nigh, when heaven shall fill my ravaged sight, when I shall bathe in sweet delight, one joy, all joy shall far exceed to see thy face, Emmanuel. Beloved, may we stand firm in faith, faith in our Emmanuel. Let's pray. Our great and glorious Heavenly Father, we come before you recognizing that there is none like you. You are the one true living God. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. You uphold all things with the power of your word. Even our very being is girded by your care. And you Lord, we want to thank you that although you are a sovereign, mighty God, you are a God who is also caring and loving that you see us in our need, you see us in our trouble, you see us overwhelmed by affliction and difficulty. And you're a God who does not leave us in that difficulty, but you're a God who draws near. Thank you that you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he truly is Emmanuel, God with us, and God for us. And we pray this morning, dear Lord, that our faith would be fixed upon him and him alone that we'd stop trusting in ourselves, we'd stop trusting in the things of this world, we'd stop looking for our rest and our comfort, our security in self and others. But as a first importance, that we turn to Christ, that we look to Him, that we'd lean on Him for help. And you know, we thank You that You've promised that You're an ever-present help in trouble. And so help us, dear Lord, build up our faith, revive our faith even this morning, for the glory and honor of your name we pray. Amen.